It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We have a special treat on this Wednesday edition of Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Sports editor Dave Campbell is in the house to talk about the Cleveland Browns. I'm Chris Quinn. I am here with Dave as well as with Lisa Garvin and Courtney Astolfi. The Browns are the biggest story of the week so far, so let's get to it. Dave, a week ago, Deshaun Watson said he would never settle the civil suits against him because he wanted to clear his name, and then he settled nearly all of them. What changed? Well, we don't really know what changed, but, I mean, we've seen this happen many, many times with politicians and, and, and famous people who have this kind of thing happen. They say one thing, and then all of a sudden the thing is settled. But, yes, Deshaun Watson and his attorneys settled 20 out of the 24 civil cases of sexual misconduct yesterday. And that's kind of the question that everybody wants to ask Deshaun Watson and his people is, if you said you didn't do this and you weren't brought up to do these kinds of things and you wanted to prove that you didn't do it, why did you settle? That's like the number one question that everybody wants to ask Deshaun Watson next time that we can get him in person or on the phone. Well, let's think about it, though. I mean, really, if you thought about this from the big macro picture, the only way this could end is to settle these lawsuits. There's no way he could go through 24 civil suits. It would have cost him a fortune, for one. It would have been 24 times people are saying horrible things about him. Anybody looking at this from outside, I think, would suspect this would settle, that the, the women want the money and, and it would go this way. The, the thing that I kept being surprised about was his adamant, I'm not going to settle. And look, he there's ways out of this, right? He could say, my perspective on what happened is very different from theirs, but I respect everybody has a different perspective. And I figured the best way to go on to settle this would be to pay to end this, that they could feel better about how it ended. I still believe I did nothing wrong, right? Well, this is the way everybody thought it was going to go. And I think there's a lot of people thinking who feel like Deshaun Watson's trying to have it both ways here, where he can go out and say, I didn't do any of this. And then behind the scenes, he and his lawyers are signing um, you know, settlements and, and we think non-disclosure agreements to make this all go away. And it could just be that he wants to have a public statement saying he didn't do it and then behind the scenes he settles and he can kind of have it both ways so uh we might never know kind of what happened behind the scenes here in terms of how this all went down but i think if you talk to most uh lawyers and people who have been following this they thought this is the way it would go and, and what he says is just a way for him to rebuild his reputation which is very important to him well i i do question the timing of this i mean he said last week I'm not going to settle. Clearly, his lawyer was in settlement talks before then because they wouldn't have settled 20 suits in a week. But on the devil's advocate side, a lot of people who get sued 
look at the cost of the trial and how long it's going to go and the cost of what the settlement might be and figure, you know, I'd rather cut my losses and and just make this go away because it'll be far less expensive and far less time consuming. And there is the possibility that he's saying, look, I just want this over with. I want to move out my career. These these suits will go on for years. And who knows what the settlements are, but but for him, he can afford it, clearly. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has 230 million reasons to get this behind him as quickly as possible. <laughs> I mean, he's in the first year of a five-year contract that guarantees him $230 million. And if, if you're in his shoes, is it better to settle this thing quickly before training camp and try and put it in the past? Or like you said, let it drag on. And I think it made a lot of sense for him and his camp, not just financially, but also just from a, a public relations point of view and getting this, uh, getting this behind him. The non-disclosure agreements you mentioned, they do you know, and you, you may not, would they apply to NFL investigators? The NFL is wrapping up its investigation, so it's probably talked to all of the people who are going to talk. But I wonder if the non-disclosure agreements would prevent them from saying anything further to investigators. That's not clear, right? Yeah, we don't know the answer to that question. I'm trying to think of how the – a big part of this equation is how the NFL is going to view this and how how long his suspension is going to be. And I don't know that they would appreciate it if Watson's lawyers had it written to the agreements – written into the agreements that the women couldn't talk to the NFL anymore. I don't know that that would go over well. And that's just a guess on my part. I, I have no idea what's in there. But I think that, you know, Watson's people are going to want to work with the NFL to make sure that they have all the information they need to make this decision come down in a timely manner because they don't want this dragging out either, this process with the NFL. Well, and Mary Kay Cabot had a story yesterday, our chief Browns writer, that said this: these settlements will not have an impact on the discipline like this will not ameliorate whatever suspension he's going to get right yes but you know just like the whole settlement thing the nfl says one thing and they can do whatever they want like maybe it is (laughs) like we don't know what's happening behind the scenes there they might have feelings about the settlements or about what's been going on with watson and we might never know they couldn't really come out and say oh yeah well it's settled we're just gonna we're gonna treat it this way or that way so that's kind of just standard nfl response uh, but we're expecting the decision will be coming down. It could be today. It could be a month from now. But uh, Rusty Harden, Watson's attorney, says that the word they're getting is it will happen before Brown's training camp opens on July 27th. I did wonder if the NFL was hesitant to make a concrete discipline decision with all the unknowns out there, that there are more suits coming. This was going to go into a courtroom. Lots of things could come up later. And so, and we'd, we'd had some stories saying they may just do this temporary thing. With the cases closing, it should give the NFL a, a more concrete world in which to live, that there won't be future revelations coming out or there's much less likely. So I guess it could impact it that way, right? Yeah, it could. And the other thing to remember is that the, the NFL process is not just an, a one-day thing where they come in and it's over. This thing is going to go to former U.S. District Judge Sue Robinson, who is someone that the NFL Players Association and the Commissioner's Office have agreed on as someone to hear these kind of player conduct cases. She makes a decision, and if she decides there's no pen, uh, no uh, suspension or no um, conduct misconduct that she is going to be penalizing, uh, then it goes away. But if she decides anything, then it goes to the commissioner's office, and Roger Goodell can make the suspension longer, he can make it shorter, he can include a fine, he can change it any way he wants once Sue Robinson 
sends along her decision. And so that process will take some time to play out. So I think the NFL does have some kind of uh, time built in here in case they do need to adjust anything. All right, Lisa, I can feel you coming through the, the speakers. You got something you want to say? <laughs> well, you have to consider that everybody in this, Rusty Harden, Tony Busby, the NFL com- commissioners, all of them, they have to be looking at two grand juries that no-build him. That's got to be close to top of mind there. I'm sorry. Mm, I don't think we can take grand jury no-bills as proof that nothing wrong happen just because you don't have the evidence to get charges doesn't really say anything at all in my view but then you have women who had their chance to have their day in court but they'd rather take the money and and run so yeah but that's how our justice system set up plea out settle up that's how most cases get resolved yeah one thing to to think about is this is this carries on here is that the nfl it's its own universe and they can do whatever they want there have been many players it's a personal conduct policy, and I think they take everything into account, like we were just talking about with the no bills. But they they've suspended players for p- long amounts of time for things that were not criminal conduct. Kareem Hunt being one of them, um, mm-hmm. when he before he came to Cleveland, and it's basically they say if you're conducting yourself in a way that does not make the league look good, they're going to do what they want, and there's no recourse. Um, this is something that's been collectively bargained between the union and the league. And so the NFL is going to do what it wants in terms of the Watson case. Uh, they'll take everything into account, but um, it's its own court and legal system within the within the NFL itself. So, Dave, you've been involved with sports for a long, long time. I won't say how long because I won't make your age known. <laughs> but you, this this case has had legs. This is not like a lot of previous NFL scandals this one is carried on a long time. While these civil suits were pending and as more were being threatened, it, it kept growing. We kept hearing from women across the country. You said, I'm done with the NFL. I'm done with the Browns. The, is Getting closure on this was part of the hope of the Haslams who own the Browns. So do you think yesterday's step gets us closer to him just thinking about football? Yes, I do. But I also... There's only there's still four suits out there, and one of the four suits that hasn't been settled is um, by a woman named Ashley Solis, who was the first woman to come forward, and she was featured on the HBO show Real Sports and Brian Gumble that came out a few weeks ago, and the, the some of the women who have filed suit are very very upset at Deshaun Watson, and they don't want him to get away with this, and they've said as much. Uh, in interviews they've done. So it is Ashley Solis and the other three women who are still unresolved cases, are they going to push this out to the end and might, might we see a trial anyway? Or are they going to find some more money? Or I, I don't know kind of what's involved, if it's a money thing or if it's something that Ashley Solis and the other three women want to see through to the end. Uh, we don't really know the answer to that right now because all these negotiations are happening behind closed doors. So this thing could drag on depending on whether these other four women want to settle or if they want to push it through. Not everybody has a price, but most people do. I suspect that they'll keep raising the amounts until they can get this closed and move on. You might be right. Dave Campbell is a regular podcaster. He is on with Terry Pluto every week on a podcast called Terry's Talking. If you like what you heard here, you ought to check out Terry's talking. Dave and Terry get a decent audience and have good insights into what's going on in Cleveland sports. Dave, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What is Matt Borges thinking setting up a website to attack the prosecutors who will eventually try him involving the House Bill 6 scandal? Lisa, what's his goal? This is, it was, it's really intriguing and kind of reads like a TV script, but the former Ohio GOP chair, Matt Borges, launched a new website, BorgesLDF.com. He's trying to raise money for his legal defense and the HB6 scandal. He, in this website, he is trying to make the case that House Bill 6 investigation, investigation is the retaliation for his efforts to defeat President Trump in 2020. So Borges was not a Trumper. He, he spoke against Trump several times. And he says, quote, my belief was that he didn't deserve to be president, obviously not well received in circles I've been in for decades. And we've seen that play out across the nation, obviously. Um, Borges was replaced by Jane Timken as the GOP chair for Ohio after the 2016 election. His name was mentioned by Trump in a, in a rally or two. And so Borges feels like maybe he was being targeted by Trump's Department of Justice. You know, that claim to me seems preposterous, that this was a Trump retaliation. I get that he steadfastly maintains his innocence and is going to the wall to force the prosecution to convict him. Others are pleading guilty, but he had one branch of this thing that he's accused in, and he says he did nothing wrong. What this does sound like, and I heard from some readers who said it, it sounds like Jimmy DeMora. He sounds like Jimmy DeMora attacking the prosecutors, going hard. And, you know, you're in your rights to do that, but if you are guilty— they're going to land on you like 16 tons. I mean, it's one thing to defend yourself in court and present your defense. But when you come out with the bazooka firing away at the people that are working on your case and questioning their integrity and credibility, that doesn't sit well with them. And they are the ones who have your fate in their hands. So I'm, it's surprising how vigorously he is attacking the investigators and the prosecutors. Right. He he took particular aim at former USA attorney for the Southern District, David DeVillers, AUSA Emily Glatfelter, FBI agent Blaine Wetzel, and FBI informant Tyler Furman, who uh, Borges said tried to bribe him. So the, he did name names. These are the four people that he is accusing of shoddy and unethical behavior. But there's a Democratic U.S. attorney in charge of the case now. If if this was all a put-up job, you would think the Democratic U.S. attorney would take a second look. I, I, I look if he's in, if he's innocent and he's fighting to clear his name, God bless him. But man, he is gambling here because if he goes down, he's going to go down hard. Well, and there's there's just one little more bit of conspiracy here that I think is interesting. He he questioned the timing of his arrest by the FBI back in uh, uh, July 2020. He announced the formation of the right side pack with a former Trump uh, 
press person Anthony Scaramucci back in June 2020. And this was to help Biden defeat Trump. This PACs, that's what it was for. And then he says, well, 31 days later, the FBI came pounding down my door and arrested me. So he kind of questioned the timing of all that. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Although, you know, we're seeing that kind of conspiracy in the January 6th hearings. So who knows? Maybe he's right. It's today in Ohio. It's not every day the U.S. Supreme Court weighs in on an Ohio murder case. Courtney, what was the 5-4 ruling that went against a convicted killer in our state? Yeah, the, this, this ruling that came out yesterday from the Supreme Court involved a Portage County man, Raymond Twyford, who's sitting on death row for killing a guy in the 90s in Jefferson County. You know, this, this, this case involved a question of neurological testing. Twyford wanted brain scans. Um, he was arguing to lower federal courts that he, he didn't have the right representation at trial. And he thought um, if he presented evidence of, of former head injuries from abuse, drug and alcohol use, and a self-inflicted gunshot wound that apparently left many metal fragments in his head, he thought if he could get this brain scan at the OSU hospital in Columbus, it might be able to be used in his appeals to show that he wasn't adequately represented at his original trial. So the two lower federal courts said, yes, state, you have to take him up to OSU to get his brain scanned to potentially yield evidence that could be used as he appeals his conviction. And the Supreme Court disagreed. I thought this was really interesting. The majority opinion was written by Chief Justice John Roberts, and, and he's saying the two lower courts should not have granted that request for transport to the hospital. And he, he Roberts basically said that an order seeking new evidence is unnecessary and inappropriate, quote, if it enables a prisoner to fish for unusable evidence in the hope that it might undermine his conviction in some way. Yeah, it, it, it also has that federal courts should not be meddling in state court decisions uh, which clearly isn't applying to our gerrymandering cases, <laughs> but that they did seem to stand a little bit on that, that the state courts, um, that the federal courts should not be undermining state court rulings, right? Yeah, that, w that was an issue here. And, you know, and that has to do with, with whether the evidence, it, it, it goes back to different case law. But, I mean, I, I believe Justice Neil Gorsuch even wrote it, his own dissent saying, Supreme Court should not have gotten involved here. But, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting that the minority opinion authored by Justice Stephen Breyer kind of kind of weighed in anyhow, aside from that federal insertion into this case. You know, he said that you can't know if evidence admissible before you go out to obtain that evidence. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Finally, an elected leader who understands the importance of the public trust, Judge Joan Sinnenberg. It was a hallelujah moment. How did she handle the sentencing of a former mayor who really abused his campaign account for years? Lisa, this was filled with juicy quotes by the judge scolding both the defendant and the prosecutors who gave him a sweetheart deal. 
Yeah, Judge Sinnenberg went a little bit medieval yesterday in the sentencing phase. Former Mayor Trevor Elkins got 30 days in jail, a $3,000 fine, and 200 hours of community service for being convicted or pleading guilty to using campaign funds for personal expenses over 651 times. But Judge Sinnenberg uh, basically tore up the plea agreement that they had agreed to earlier that called for just five years of probation. She jumped on process for not recognizing the severity of Elkin's crime. You know, I think it added up to $134,000 since 2015, where he was moving campaign funds into his own personal account and then spending it. Um, And then she said to Elkins, it's unfathomable that you didn't understand that campaign funds are not a personal bank account. And as, you know, Elkins was trying to make his statement, she interrupted him several times. He was trying to say, well... It it, it was a habit and laziness. It wasn't embezzlement that caused him to mingle the two funds. But then then Sinnenberg said, well, then why plead guilty? You know, and she basically said what he did is worth some days in jail. Yeah, she said, I've looked at this every way I can, and there's no way this is okay. That you, you violated the rules. You know you violated the rules. And this needs to be taken seriously. And, and she's absolutely right. I mean, when, when public officials who are given all this trust by the public abuse their positions this way, they should have the book thrown at them. That, that's, that, that, that should be a warning to others. So I, I was just glad she did it. And man, mm-hmm. She sounds like she's mad. Corey Schaefer's story on this was a, a terrific read. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked last week about a woman who pleaded guilty to killing her baby, even though she says she has no memory of having the baby, and there are questions about whether the baby was born alive. What was the criminal sentence she received Tuesday, Courtney? Yeah, this is crazy. So uh, Portage County Common Pleas Judge Becky Doherty handed down a a 10-plus-year prison sentence to 21-year-old Brianna Reddick. Um, who had pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter of her newborn in October 2019. She had put the baby in the trash. The baby died. You know, uh, medical examiners used this controversial test to determine whether the baby was alive at birth or not. And and Corey did a great story a week or two ago all exploring that concept. So there were like some weird question marks and puzzle pieces at play here. I, I think it's really interesting that prosecutors did not ask for a prison sentence in this case. Reddick was uh, a Cleveland girl, full-ride scholarship to Hiram College, high achiever, and um, prosecutors didn't ask for a prison sentence, and, and Judge Doherty had the choice to impose probation but went for one year less than the maximum sentence here, which was 10 years. I guess the in this case, though, because she did plead guilty to killing the baby, that that's what the judge has to deal with. There, are, it, it sounds like she might have taken that plea because she saw what happened in another county in which somebody got a much more serious uh, period in prison after going to trial. But once you accept responsibility for killing the baby, you're admitting that the baby was alive and and you caused its death. If you're the judge in that case, how do you give somebody probation? Yeah, I mean, and and that seems to be the angle that Doherty came at it. She said that nothing disturbed her more than sending a young woman to prison, who should be a success story. But the judge also said she couldn't overlook, quote, the depravity 
it took for you to take this child and toss him away like garbage. So it seems like the judge was way in kind of that. Yeah, her the, the, her choice was to fight this, to go to court, to 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 make the case that they hadn't proved the baby was alive when it was born. <clears throat> Maybe bring in the mental illness factor because clearly she has some issues and seek to get a verdict of acquittal or some lesser crime. But once you go into court and take responsibility for the death of a newborn infant, there is there are consequences, and that's what she got yesterday. Yeah, and, you know, she had admitted, it, she, the, the young woman had said, I was, I was young, I was alone, I was afraid. Um, my fear got the best of me. And, um, yeah, just a sad yeah. story all around. Yeah. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. In this summer of miserable air travel experiences with no end of canceled flights, what does travel writer Susan Glazer say about the new flights out of Cleveland Hopkins International Airport aboard Alaskan Air? Lisa. Yeah, she had a pleasant experience and, and wrote about it. She took one of the very first flights on that new Cleveland to Seattle nonstop route. She said that she was impressed. It did cost $700 round trip, but that's about what they were figuring it was going to be, actually a little higher. But she said it, it, it was a full-service flight. She had an assigned seat. She was allowed one carry-on and one personal item, and that she paid $30 each way for a checked bag. And she noted that an Alaskan airplanes or Alaska Air, comfy economy seats are 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 the norm. I mean, the seat pitch that, you know, between seat back and seat back is 31 to 32 inches on Alaska airplanes. That's up to four inches more than Spirit, and that's up to two inches more than United. So, you know, people are getting plenty of leg room. She said there were outlets and USB ports at all the seats, and there was this cool little device shelf on the back of the seat that put your devices like your iPads and phones at eye level, so you didn't have to rest it on the tray. That was interesting. She said there was a unique overhead bin design that kept people from fighting for bin space. I'd love to see pictures of that to see what that looks like. <laughs> but then, yeah, she said the only thing that uh, that was a little bit of a downer was that the, the departures from Hopkins are at 6.20 p.m. It's a five-hour flight. You're going back three hours in time, but still, uh, Alaska Airlines hopes to offer day flights pretty soon. I My question is, have we been beaten down by poor airline treatment that is so bad that mediocre service gets praise? Or is this truly outstanding service? I mean, the airlines have never treated people as badly as they treat them now. We get gouged every way. There's no room. I'm, I've got long legs, so I'm never comfortable on a plane. And yet, if you talk to anybody that's flown over the last two weeks, it's just a nightmare. The council president, Courtney Blaine Griffin, was on Facebook over the weekend just laying it all out in, in deep descriptions of just how tortured his trip was. So is this is this good is this outstanding i, 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 I think she maybe was lucky you know it's a brand new route you know so they're probably you know they had probably had to build up demand it's a brand new boeing it's a 737 max 9 it has 16 first class seats 24 premium economy and glazer wasn't even sitting in any though she was in regular economy with her long-legged husband who said he had plenty of leg room but she did say that canceled flights are still a concern and not too long ago alaska airlines actually apologized on a YouTube video for canceling a bunch of flights a while back. Okay. 
Check out Susan's story on Cleveland.com. You are listening to Today in Ohio. How is the U.S. Senate seeking to honor Otto Warmbier, the 22-year-old who was jailed by North Korea and died under mysterious circumstances that look like torture? Courtney. Yeah, so the U.S. Senate on Thursday passed legislation named for Warmbier. He was 22 years old at the time of his death about five years ago. He's a Cincinnati guy, and he, he was arrested in North Korea and, and returned home in a coma, comatose state. So you can only imagine what happened there. Yeah, um, I mean, when he came back, it was clear they had done something horrible to him, and, and he didn't last that long after he came mm-hmm. back. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, this piece of Senate legislation does a couple things. So, so Warren Beer, he was originally arrested in North Korea under the premise of he removed a propaganda poster from a hotel. So this bill kind of tries to get at North Korea's repressive information propaganda kind of cycle, their censorship surveillance state. So what this bill does is it puts down $50 million over five years for the U.S. Agency for Global Media. The bill requires the president to develop a strategy to combat North Korea's repressive information environment. This bill funds the development of new means to protect privacy of individuals who get media from this from this U.S. agency who are living within North Korea. It um, helps promote the development of Internet freedom tools and different approaches to combat kind of that propaganda propaganda environment and it also you know funds the repair of some antennas that that were used to broadcast info to north koreans but it was damaged several years ago okay obviously it's never going to console his family who lost him but at least some kind of tribute in his honor is uh some solace It's today in Ohio. That does it for the Wednesday discussion. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks to Dave Campbell for joining us to talk about the Browns. We'll be back Thursday for another episode.